Alrighty, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly, and it's episode number 478. We're recording live on August the 18th. Uh, Brianna, how are you? Hanging in there. Another uh, another week working from home in the box. Getting uh, this week, uh, my, my oldest started kindergarten, so trying to figure out digital learning, and I am so glad I'm not a teacher. Like they definitely all deserve pay raises. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like having another, a whole nother job to, to figure out now, but um, we're working through it. Yeah. Yeah. We're uh, we don't start for another couple of weeks up here, but uh, yeah, same thing. It'll be a whole interesting challenge to see what happens. And, you know, inevitably somebody's going to test positive, there's going to be some school shut down and who knows, you know, what'll happen. We could all be back at home again, but whatever. <laughs> we'll see. Um, yeah. But hey, on a happier note, my Raptors are, you know, playoffs have begun and they won the first game. So, you know, all is well. They sure did. I saw that. There you go. I saw that. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, we have a good show for you this week. We've got uh, three industry news stories and a guest in our members at home uh, series. So I'll let Abriana just jump right into it. Yeah. So the very location specific story, um, Verizon has announced this new uh, level of precision geotargeting and capabilities within within their devices. Um, and so this is called real-time kinematics uh, technology. So usually when you think about how precise, um, you know, uninterrupted GPS signal is from a device, you're thinking like nine, three to nine meters um, in that range. You know, obviously when you get around more buildings and in more, you know, uh, more dense and urban areas, you're going to have less accuracy. Uh, but this new type of technology is getting accuracy down to two centimeter precision. I mean, this is like very, very precise, right? Um, and so this will be better location data for specific use cases like IoT. So um, what it's going to do is, um, you know, obviously it's going to decrease the cost of IoT because it can be more precise um, and it will also make it more efficient. Um, and so, you know, the risks related to operating certain systems with IoT things uh, like, um, you know, autonomous applications, you might think of like self-driving software, uh, you know, uh, moving things, you know, on their own, obviously. Um, these are, the precision is obviously very, very important. So uh, this will be coupled with their 5G network. Um, and they highlighted two partnerships, um, one that we know of the company very well. So they are partnering with the mapping company here, Technologies, and they've also partnered with uh, Renovo, which is an autonomous vehicle system which uses RTK or the real-time kinematics technology. So this is a good advancement, obviously, um, you know, when you think about like self-driving cars or um, even just uh, machinery, you know, you think about like moving suitcases throughout the airport or packages throughout facilities or um, maybe even like healthcare, you know, how you can track and find certain, uh, you know, uh, pieces of equipment that may not be, you know, easy to find or move them around. So the precision pieces is really important. Um, so I think this is pretty cool. You know, obviously when we think about precision and the location data, um, you know, a lot of times it's about, um, 
you know, marketing applications, but this obviously has a whole nother application. And I, for one, am very hopeful that by the time my kids are driving, that most cars will be driving themselves and be extremely safe. Uh, but we'll see if that happens. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, certainly from a um, accuracy point of view, I think this technology is fascinating and, and, and very, very powerful. Um, you know, obviously Verizon isn't the only one to be doing this. Um, you know, we, uh, the story mentioned that Soft, SoftBank is uh, deploying this in Japan, uh, the same kind of RTK technology, and they announced that last year. So, you know, certainly this, you know, the, the desire and the need to have this kind of level of accuracy is becoming more and more important. Um, I think, you know, the area that you talked about um, of some of these applications in terms of asset tracking of knowing where things are and equipment and and things i think is very interesting one of the areas where um you know to kind of bring this into retail that i think could be interesting is um you know historically we talk a lot about beacons and and these types of things on an indoor positioning perspective but you know if you think about sort of embedded sensors now um, into fabric into clothing into uh, goods that we might buy um, you know, knowing where those things are inside of stores could be very interesting. And I, I see it on two levels. One is like, you know, if somebody picks up a jacket to go try it on and brings it from the, you know, the rack to the change room or those types of things, you know, that type of level of accuracy of the actual item. But also like from a, um, you know, sort of self-checkout, you know, um, you know, cashierless type of retail environment, you know, having accuracy of where goods are and things like that at that level uh, of two centimeters is, is vital, right? So I think there's a lot of things you can do with this, let alone the, you know, sort of the autonomous, you know, vehicles and driving and all that aspect of what they are talking about already. So I think there's, there's huge implications for this. I think the technology is incredibly fascinating and, um, you know, uh, I think there's, there's a lot that they can be doing with this. And I think, you know, partnerships with companies like here and others, and as the 5G network becomes sort of wider deployed, um, you know, across all of our countries, I think it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how they can kind of play that in, especially as an outdoor um, technology for accuracy, where, you know, satellites, you know, at three meters or what have you is, is, is not great for a lot of the applications we want today. So there you go. All right, our second story, an interesting one, uh, DoorDash is at it again. Uh, we've talked a fair bit about DoorDash, you know, over this COVID time. Uh, and they've been really uh, kind of ramping up, you know, and testing new offerings. And so they're announcing a new thing called Dash Mart, which are actual stores, uh, convenience stores to be specific. Um, so, you know, DoorDash has been, you know, sort of doing all kinds of interesting things. They teamed up with Walgreens and and 7-Eleven and CBS and they've been delivering drug you know prescriptions and you know convenience items and these kinds of things to people. They launched a program uh, called Main Street Strong to help restaurants you know so restaurants that were basically on the DoorDash platform you know to kind of help drive you know more engagement keep them you know alive uh, during COVID times. And now they've launched this new thing called Dash Marts. And so they're actually building their own convenience stores, you know, sort of like going head to head in some respects with 7-Eleven. So these are sort of like mini physical stores. Um, and what they're doing is, is they're, at least the way they're pitching this and positioning this is it's a way to help brands that maybe are struggling uh, right now to have more channels to sell their products. So they're teaming up with guys like Brothers Barbecue and the Cheesecake Factory and 
you know, others like that to basically carry their products physically in these Dash Mart stores. Uh, it's up and running right now in eight cities, and they plan to expanding this across the country in the coming months. And I think it's interesting to see, you know, somebody like, you know, DoorDash kind of move into kind of the physical, uh, you know, retail space environment and have their own physical space to carry products of brands that they, you know, normally would just deliver. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I think is really interesting um, as well is that having the ability that they've, you know, DoorDash obviously started from just the delivery platform and having the ability to have insight into the things that are being ordered and things that are being uh, requested the most, you know, whether that's from a food perspective or even, you know, a pharmacy perspective. I love how you're like, they deliver drugs. It's like, sign me up, right? Um, and so, like, I think that that's really smart because now they are moving from, it's almost like Amazon, right? Like, you know what people are looking for. You have the ability to look at what is searched for, uh, what is, you know, selling the most. And then, you know, typically what happens is then Amazon moves into those, you know, private labels and creates their own because they say, hey, we can make more money here, right? Uh, I mean, it's kind of like the, the, the conflict of interest, if you will, there. But in this case, there's no conflict of interest almost as they are just able to maybe help those brands, as you mentioned, right? It seems like it's, it's a more of a, um, you know, a, a demand, like we understand the demand of certain goods and the areas where those are demanded. And so we can kind of move into this uh, from a much more data and analytical perspective versus just saying like, hey, this is a great area for a store based upon the demographics here. Uh, so I like that. I think that this makes a lot of sense for them. Um, and I think it's a smart move that differentiates them from their competitors. So uh, I'm interested to see how this, how this pans out and then how much they decide to scale. Yeah, and so they say initially they'll offer 2,500 items in the stores, uh, and the eight cities are Chicago, Cincinnati, Columbus, Ohio, Dallas, Minneapolis, Phoenix, Redwood City, California, and Salt Lake City. So there you go, um, and 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 growing from there. So like super interesting. Um, I, I think it'll be it'll be something to watch, um, as you say, and I think the data that the and the insights that they have on what. What's, what's in demand is fascinating, um, mm -hmm. very much like Amazon in that sense. All right, so that's the first two stories. And before we get to our final story for this week, uh, we do have a guest this week on our Members at Home series. And his name is Rich Ventura. And now he's somebody who's very well known to the LBMA community, been a speaker at many of our conferences, a uh, well-respected uh, gentleman in the digital out of home and digital signage world, uh, former uh, chair of the Digital Signage Federation, and for 20 years uh, was uh, in various senior uh, leadership roles at NEC, uh, the big digital signage uh, company. And over this COVID time, uh, he has switched uh, affiliations. After 20 years, he's left NEC and is now at Sony. Um, and so I had a chance uh, earlier today actually to sit down with Rich and talk about uh, that transition and kind of what he's doing now, um, kind of what he sees next and uh, you know, what it's been like um, kind of working from home and all of that. So here he is, Rich Venturi, he's VP of B2B Solutions at Sony Electronics um, and uh, I'll let him speak for himself. Here we go. Alrighty, I'm very excited this week because we get to have a really special guest on our show. He is a well-known uh, person to the world of the Location-Based Marketing Association, but he's in a brand new role. 
His name is Rich Ventura. Rich, uh, welcome to Location Weekly. Oh, thanks, Asif. Always great to catch up. Yeah, so um, as I alluded to, uh, you're in a brand new role. Rich is the uh, VP of B2B uh, for Sony Electronics, their imaging products um, and uh, pro solutions group. Uh, and uh, I say it's a new role because for as long as I've known you anyways, you've been with NEC and, and here you are now uh, jumping over to, uh, to Sony. What, what, first of all, you know, how's that been? Like what's, I mean, after so long at one company to, to make a switch, you know, how, how has that been? Yeah, it was definitely interesting. It's been an interesting, uh, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, you know, 20 years at one company, and I've been uh, with Sony for about nine weeks. Uh, it's been exciting. It's a uh, uh, great organization. You know, I, I, I always think highly of my uh, friends and family at NEC, and I'm, I'm in this new journey with the new family, and uh, I couldn't be any more excited. Uh, the products are fantastic. The teams are, are strong. Uh, the mission is strong. Uh, the direction we're taking is definitely very strong. So it's it's a really exciting opportunity. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm, I'm really uh, really happy for you. Uh, you 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 know you found something. Uh, you know in, in a field obviously that you have a ton of expertise in, but uh, you know a really great opportunity, and especially in this unique time that we're all living in this COVID time. So. This, uh, this series of podcasts we've been doing uh, for the last number of months, we, we're calling members at home because, as you are, most, all of us, most of us are working from home, um, you know, um, sort of imposed by our companies or just choosing to, to isolate and work from home. Um, so first question really is, is how has that been for you? I mean, I know you as a guy like myself who lives on the road, is speaking at conferences, traveling all over the world. Um, that's not happening right now. So, you know, how's that adjustment been for you? You know, it's, it's actually been a mixed blessing. Um, obviously it's difficult time. It's a difficult challenge for all of our people to work from home, especially those who've never worked from home. And so, uh, you run into, uh, the new obstacles, the new challenges that they have for that whole new world. Uh, the blessing side of it, it's, it's allowed me to really, uh, learn more about this organization, uh, learn more about. Uh, the Sony way, and then also uh, intermixing, intertwining the rich way so we can uh, move forward. Uh, difficult part has been not being able to really be there with uh, all the employees and get to spend time with them and then see all of our customers. Uh, so it, it's been, a, it's been an, a challenge, it's, uh, but it's, like I said, it's been, it's been that mixed blessing. The other thing I will say that um, has actually shown all of us uh, especially those of us who are road warriors, is we don't necessarily have to be on the road every single day to get our jobs done. And so it actually has uh, created and fostered uh, a lot more creativity on how we engage with our clients, engage with our partners. And I think when we come out of this, when we come out of this, not an if, but when, um, I think we're going to see business done a little differently, uh, which I think is going to allow us to be a lot more uh, agile and fluid in, our, in how we do, uh, how we sell and how we engage with our clients. Yeah, well, I want to pick up on something you just said, like, you know, being being more creative. So one of the things we've been asking people on these these interviews for these last number of months is, 
you know, what, uh, what are some new tools that you've discovered uh, that you didn't have before, you weren't using before in how you're able to kind of stay in touch with colleagues, collaborate with colleagues or clients? You know, obviously lots of people, you know, have discovered Slack and Zoom and things like that. Is there anything kind of unique and different to uh, what you've been doing um, that's been helpful? You know, honestly, tools-wise, I think we're all using the same tools. You're either using Teams, you're using Zoom, you're using Slack, you're using one of those communication tools. Uh, I think the biggest challenge is, uh, as I, I hear from a lot of people, as we start getting uh, the quote-unquote Zoom fatigue or the Teams fatigue, because we're on video, we're on calls so much. And one of the things that I remind everybody is video. Add video. Most people just do an audio version of these calls. They don't use the video aspect, and the video is important because you still have a connection you're making with somebody. Um, I would say the only tool that uh, I per se maybe used more than I've ever done before is I walk around a lot in my office when I talk, and so historically I would always have uh, my headphones with my mic and built into it. And one of the things I did is I put a boom mic in my office so that I can really move around my office and and utilize that technology a little differently, which is what we normally use for podcasting. I've chosen this to be you know, my traditional way of speaking with everybody. Um, outside of that, the, the, the fortunate thing for me is I'm used to having a home office, so I'm used to having a lot of these tools here. Uh, but I definitely have seen such a massive in, uh, influx of people utilizing the teams and and being creative how they use it. Don't just use it for a video call. They're using it for sharing content, um, working together on documentation for cross collaboration, things like that. Cool, cool. So let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the business now. So obviously, you know, 20 years at NEC, now at Sony. From uh, I, I know, and I know you've only been there nine weeks, but uh, like from a product perspective or technology perspective, in terms of the offering, you know, what's the coolest kind of thing that Sony's got that you're excited about? You know, sort of being able to get out there and sell and promote that you know you didn't have access to before. You know, there's a lot of unbelievable technologies at Sony. Um, it's interesting for me coming from the display world and then seeing some of the other products that we have access to, whether it's our, our PTZ cameras, uh, which is massive for collaboration and for the distance engagement we have going on right now. Uh, we have a product within that line called Edge, which is really allows you to do distance, distant education, distance communication, uh, being able to use a camera and AI and analytics, and it's doing handwriting recognition and it's allowing you to make virtual backgrounds and backdrops and then upload that into uh, any LMS systems that the, that the school or the end user is using. That's something that is really game changing. Um, a lot of people have the ability of using cameras to track you as you walk around. This takes it to like 10 levels even above that. Uh, taking that and then also you look at our C-LED platform, um, our high-end, uh, unbelievable um, LED, micro-LED product is just phenomenal. The picture quality is amazing. Um, so looking at a lot of those things were really exciting, and they're products that are game changers. Uh, you add in even uh, with our display products having an Android uh, player built into them, allowing us to run digital signage or run a video conferencing application that's designed for Android, we're able to do that natively uh, right in our displays, which is pretty slick. 
That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to learn more about the uh, handwriting recognition and that kind of stuff. That's that's fascinating. Um, so let's talk uh, uh, last year about uh, COVID. Um, you know, one of the things that we, we've seen uh, and, and read about and heard about is, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of restaurant chains, a lot of retailers, a lot of folks that we deal with at the LBMA are trying to figure out, you know, how they reopen safely, how they bring people back. You know, so there's a lot of focus right now on touch-free everything, right? Um, and screens, to me, seem to be playing a big role in, in that, uh, in messaging wait times or messaging, you know, you know, communications and distancing and mask compliance and other things you know, that's really important. How are you guys seeing that play out, um, you know, sort of the COVID use case for your products right now? So you had the early, you had the early companies that jumped on board and, and started launching all of these temperature sensors. That was like the first thing that came out right away. Um, but even before that, if we go back a year, year and a half ago, BrightSign, for example, introduced voice activated in uh, touch. So being able to speak into the device and it could interact and collaborate with um, the kiosk. Obviously, then you add in things like mobile, uh, augmented reality applications, things like that, that allow you to engage. That hasn't changed. Um, I think companies are being more creative how they're using the tech. Um, you know, touch itself is taking a pretty big hit because we're all scared to touch screens right now. Uh, but what it's also created and fostered and drove is uh, a stronger understanding of how we clean our displays and the technologies out there that allow you to maintain clean displays. Uh, so we've seen a, a really strong influx of that. Um, it, it, as, as anything, and I, and I, I think I said this uh, to a lot of people at the very beginning of this, is that uh, something like this, what we're dealing with COVID, what you're going to have are companies are going to become more creative than they've ever been before. And they're going to find new ideas, new opportunities, new strategies behind it. And it's no different at Sony. Uh, we're looking at uh, with our, you know, I mentioned about Edge. Edge is, an, is a perfect solution for the environment to allow you to collaborate for over a distance. But it doesn't add the touch element, right? So now we start looking at how do we take uh, products with touch and either uh, supply education on cleaning or do you align with companies that have cleaning solutions? So we're looking at a lot of those things. Uh, but our displays, first and foremost, are information screens, which is critical in a, in a time like this to, to supply information to everybody. So our products are going into digital signage applications where they're informing about the recent, whatever the recent status is, reminding people to clean their hands, all of those things. So it's really dry, helping drive that content that's really critical right now. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. I think that's that's what we're seeing as well with so many of the brands that we're working with. It's it's all about messaging and communication and reminding people to to you know do the right things, right? Um, absolutely. So last thing here uh, is uh, I see behind you there, you know, the Cincinnati Reds uh, jersey. Um, you know, your your team isn't doing great. They're about the same as my Blue Jays right now. Um, you know, and you, you're in Cubs land, right? They're 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 at the top of the division at the moment. What's going on? Actually, I'm a Twins fan. Remember, I'm from Minnesota. Oh, that's right. So we are top of the American League here. So no, the jersey behind me is uh, a Pete Rose jersey from. Okay. So I grew up. I grew up as a huge Pete Rose fan. All right. That was my baseball player that I followed. So I was fortunate a few years back to be in Las Vegas, and I got to meet him uh, at uh, one of the uh, sports shops. So this is actually a signed jersey that he signed for me and. 
Uh, it's hard to see if there's a picture of uh, me shaking hands with him and when he was signing everything. So that was kind of my, uh, I got to meet my uh, childhood idol. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very good. Well, congrats then on, on your twins being, uh, you know, doing well right now. <laughs> we're, we're not doing so well up here uh, in Toronto, but uh, at least we've got the Raptors. Yeah, it makes it, toler- it makes it tolerable living in Chicago, in White Sox country and, and Cubs country to have the twins doing as well as they're doing. It's nice to see baseball. I mean, that's probably been the hardest change for all of us is not having live sports. Yeah. Um, and being able to engage, so. Right. And, uh, and you've got a, a, a new uh, uh, person on the way. Um, congrats to that. Yeah. Yep. We, uh, it's going to be, uh, we've got an interesting journey this year with between uh, uh, joining Sony and uh, we've got a little one coming in October. So I'm pretty excited uh, about uh, the addition. Awesome. Well, great to see you. Great to catch up. Thank you so much for, for taking some time out of your, your schedule. And, you know, congrats uh, on life and where you're at right now. Uh, congrats on your new role at, uh, at Sony and, uh, and your family and all of that. Just stay safe, healthy, you know, COVID free and all of that. And hopefully we'll get to see each other soon, uh, you know, in, in real life. So, um, yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much, Rich. Really appreciate Definitely. it. Thank you for inviting us. Thanks, Rich. Really appreciate you jumping on the show and uh, giving us some insight into uh, what you're doing. And uh, congrats on the move. And uh, we look forward to seeing you soon uh, in the physical world, hopefully. Okay. Yes. All right. Our final story today uh, comes from Google. And this is a a pretty interesting announcement. Again, going back to sort of uh, location technology. Um, And that ongoing theme here is that Google has announced now that they will be launching an Android earthquake alert system. So they are building their own Android, uh, you know, detection network that will be embedded with all of their, you know, Android devices um, on every Google Play Android phone. So this is really interesting because so so apparently, I mean, we know that our, our devices have accelerometers in there and, um, you know, it's, it's a passable enough, meaning like it's not perfect, but it's good enough to be used as a uh, seismometer, which is, you know, how they measure earthquakes. Obviously, they have much larger devices that are uh, set up for specific use cases. But when you pair what we have in our devices with location data of multiple users at scale, you actually can kind of create this makeshift um, earthquake detection. So, it you know, you can detect that there's, you know, an earthquake that's happened, um, and then you can potentially warn other users. Um, so, you know, not too long ago, I think it was back in maybe 2016, the University of California, Berkeley, UC Berkeley, um, and with some funding from the state of California, actually developed an app called MyShake, which was like a cheap kind of version of this as well. Um, and so, you know, they are working with, um, there's a, a back-end system that's called MyShake um, that, you know, allows clients to use that. And they, it, it's, I mean, I'm sorry, it's called ShakeAlert. And so Google is using the same kind of foundational um, technology and back-end system to launch this. Um, so what I thought was, I mean, I kind of, you know, geek out a little bit on this, but basically they say that like you, whenever you have, are detecting an earthquake, like you are racing at the speed, you're racing the speed of light, which is roughly how fast data can travel um, from cell phones, right? Those signals can travel. 
against the speed of an earthquake and you know usually the speed of light is faster so well it is faster so um you know race they say this often only works out to like a minute of warning but that's usually enough to obviously duck or take cover or you know get to a less dangerous spot um so in california you know they have this shake alert but everywhere else in the world they don't have this built out sort of earthquake uh technology and and network um, so for now, Google's going to just roll this out um, as a feature, you know, for use in California. Um, but they'll be using kind of their in-house system, which is like, hey, there's an earthquake that we saw and we'll send out a signal to those devices, not in California uh, as much as they can. But um, they will be rolling out this feature for all of the Android phones running 5.0 and up, which is like 94% of the two and a half billion Google Play uh, devices that, you know, proliferate the ecosystem right now and over the next coming year they're hoping to roll out these earthquake alerts at you know more capacity and scale across many um you know many states and countries um but this to me is like super interesting i remember you know uh years ago in the ip intelligence space which is where i have a lot of my background they started using ip intelligence based upon search query to determine where an earthquake's epicenter was and based upon that, you know, you could kind of say like, this is where the epicenter of the earthquake was at an even faster pace than a lot of the earthquake technologies there. And this to me is, um, you know, I think is like a, an, another pairing that is going to be even faster because of the, the um, you know, the capacity and the speed that the signals from our devices can, uh, you know, can travel and also there's no user necessarily like as long as you have your location services enabled for this specific feature there's no user interaction that's necessary so a search doesn't have to happen you can just use the the motion detection of the device um, along with you know all the other devices that are in a specific area to determine uh, you know that this course location is you know experiencing an earthquake or like aftershocks or like whatever is going on so I mean, I think this is a really, really cool application. I like this. I think, you know, this is a safety feature and having that extra minute, you know, sometimes could be the, the difference between, you know, saving a life. So um, it's nice to see Google, you know, one of these big companies making an announcement that's more of a people-centric offering. <laughs> it is, uh, I agree. Um, and I think that, you know, more and more we're seeing interesting use cases. COVID's shown us, you know, obviously with, you know, COVID alerts and, and things like that about, you know, cases near you or, you know, exposure and all of that. Um, you know, it, it, all these things are about saving lives. And so I like that. I think it's, it's a great uh, way for them to leverage the technology. You know, the one thing here that they don't talk about, obviously, which is sort of, you know, just there is, is that, is this an opt-in feature? Do people have to agree to share their location data, you know, to, you know, enable this ability? Yeah, it is an opt-in feature. So basically this will be under your location services. So it'll be automatically turned off. If you want to opt in, you have to turn it on. Um, so this is part of that, you know, that opt-in through your settings on the device. So just like the COVID applications and things like that. So, you know, I think a ton of value there, right, uh, in it. Um, and, you know, I like that they're using the, the sensors in the device. You know, one thing that, you know, I get really frustrated on when I look at the advertising, you know, community is that there's so many sensors in these smartphones today, you know, this is using the accelerometer, but, you know, there's a gyroscope, there's a compass, there's a magnometer, there's, 
you know, all sorts of things for barometric readings and whatnot. And we don't use any of those, you know, for the most part in the ad units and the display units that we see on our devices. And there's so much that can be done with this, mm -hmm. you know, and this is just a great way to kind of bring some visibility to that as well, which I think is, is great and fascinating and, you know, can really, you know, kind of drive, you know, utility in, in the, in the sensors that are there. I mean, obviously there's companies who are trying to do that, but, you know, for the most part, it's not mainstream, right, to, to, to leverage that. I remember when I was listening to you, I remember some years ago now, somebody built an, uh, an app uh, in Boston uh, called Bump. And what they were doing is, is that they were trying to get citizens in, in the city of Boston to download this app. And as you drove around the streets, every time you hit a pothole, Basically, if you had this app, it would it would see that little move up and down um, of your vehicle, and when it, they'd set some some thresholds, and once the threshold was met using open uh, government uh, data systems, they would automatically from the bump app send, you know, a request to the city to come fill this pothole. So people didn't have to manually report and do all that kind of stuff. So I think there's a lot of great ways to use data like this, um, and uh, good on Google for kind of finding uh, an interesting use case. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's our show. Uh, you've been listening to episode number 478 of Location Weekly. Uh, we thank you for listening and watching. Uh, we appreciate uh, all the feedback, uh, story ideas. Please reach out to us if you have some. Um, and uh, we're easily found on all the channels. And, and if you're watching the video, the contact information is at the end of the show. Have a great week, everybody, and uh, thank you, Rich, once again, and uh, we'll be back next week with uh, yet another show and more news. Take care. Bye. Bye.